Well, what's good, CHCC family and friends? Hey, I pray that you're all encouraged this morning. I pray that you all had a great week. Hey, I am so excited to dive into God's word again with you this morning. What a, what a privilege it is. What a joy it is. So if you have a physical copy of God's word, the Bible, let me go ahead and get you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 11 through 14. That's where we'll be in our time this morning. So Ephesians 1 verses 11 through 14. So go ahead and turn there. Hey, if you need help finding where the book of Ephesians is, that's okay. Just look in uh, at the beginning of the, the Bible in the table of contents and find what page Ephesians starts on and just jump in with us from there. Hey, if you're joining us and you are fancy and you use electronic devices and so you could just go ahead and scroll there. Um, but if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in uh, with us this morning. You are jumping in on the fourth sermon of a series through the book of Ephesians called Grace Through Faith, A Gift from God. So let me let me encourage you to check out previous week's sermons in this series so far to just catch up. But but over the last two weeks, we've been breaking down verses three through ten. And uh, we'll we'll do that in verses 11 through 14 in just a little bit. But what we've been seeing so far in the verses that we've walked through is that our God is triune. We've been saying that our God is triune, that he's Trinity, that uh, he's one God three distinct persons. So, so one being, one essence, three distinct persons. And so God the Father, God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. So we've been seeing also that each person of the Trinity plays a major role in our glorious salvation. We've been seeing that over the last couple of weeks. First, God the Father blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And that spiritual blessing is our salvation, our glorious salvation. So the Father chose us, the Son saves us, and we'll see in, in just a little bit in our passage this morning that the Holy Spirit secures us. He secures us. So the Father chose us, the Son saves us, and the Spirit secures us. I'm, I'm so excited to dive in to this passage this morning, but before I do, let me ask God for His help. So let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, we praise You once again for this morning. Uh, we, we thank You for this uh, opportunity to gather. God, I need Your help. Um, I can't do this uh, apart from You. I don't want to do it apart from you. I need you. So God, would you please speak through me? Um, would you hide me uh, behind you? May people see and hear you this morning. May you increase and may I decrease. And God, what we're here, what we've been doing uh, already in the service and what we'll do here now and and when we end is, man, we are trying to meet with you. We want to be with you, God. This time of preaching your word is an opportunity for us to hear from you. And so, God, I pray that we would all do just that and that we would not only hear, but that we would obey. Help us to obey what you are telling us. So, God, we, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you, God, that you spoke, <laughs> that you uh, gave us your word so that we could uh, hear your word uh, being spoken to us. Thank you for your word that saves. Thank you for your word that, um, yeah, Lord, sustains. Ah, oh, we thank you, God, that when everything fails or when everything fades away, your word will last forever. And so we thank you for your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 14. Verse 11 starts with this. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. So, so once again, like over the last couple of weeks, we've been teasing out the main idea of this passage. And so it starts all the way back up to verse three and, and now to verse 14, but we've been teasing out this main idea. And that main idea is this, that God the Father has blessed the believer with every spiritual blessing, salvation in the Son by the Spirit. So God the Father has blessed the believer with every spiritual blessing, salvation uh, by the Son and in the Spirit. So that's our main idea that we've been teasing out over these last couple of weeks. And so I have just three points for us this morning that will guide our time. And so here they are, point one. Our inheritance is in Christ. And we'll see that in verse 11. So our inheritance is in Christ. Point number two, our inheritance is secure in Christ. Our inheritance is secure in Christ. And so we'll see that in verses 13 through 14a. And then point three, our inheritance has a goal, worshiping Christ. Our inheritance has a goal. What is it? It's to worship Christ. And we'll see that in verses 12 and 14b. So point one, our inheritance is in Christ. Look back with me at verse 11. What does it read? It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Notice that this verse starts off with in him, which refers to Jesus as we've learned over these last few weeks in our time studying these verses together. You look at the verse, you see that we, uh, that we in, in this verse and in verse 12 refers to Jewish Christians. So remember that the author of this letter is a Jew. So Paul, the apostle, uh, is a Jew. We, we first learned that in our first uh, sermon in this series a couple of weeks ago, uh, and that he's writing to Gentile believers, the church at Ephesus. And so Gentile just means non-Jews. Uh, this is the, the unity that's in view 
that we see uh, in the verse before. We saw this last week in verse 10 and in and, and unity as believers in general, uh, as we saw in verse 10 of last week as well. So this was this was God's plan. His plan was to do what? What was the plan to unite Jew and Gentile believers in Christ and under Christ's authority? So so this is the the unity that's in view that that God would uh, take man Jews and Gentiles and unite them in Christ and under Christ. So this is what's in view when we uh, pick up the verse and it says uh, in him and then we we referring to Jewish Christians. Uh, so when we get to verse 11 and 12, you, you, you see that we keep in mind that Paul is referring to Jewish, Jewish believers, as I said, but, but there's a shift in the language throughout the passage. And so let me, let me show you that shift now so you can follow where I'm headed. Look at verse 13. You see where it says, in him you also. See the shift from verses 11 through 12 where it says we, right, to now you also. This is referring to the church at Ephesus. So Gentile believers. Did you see the shift that it went from we to, to now uh, in him you also, including um, a, another people? <laughs> and so he's including Gentile believers in that verse. Now look at verse 14 where it says our inheritance. You see that in the text? It says our inheritance in the middle of that verse. See, now that Paul is actually combining Jew and Gentiles together and saying, man, we, we all have this inheritance. So just follow the, follow the thought here. So we, we see in the first verse that it says, in him, we, all right, and that was referring to Jewish Christians. And then you follow the, the thought here in, in, in the passage and it shifted to now, uh, in him, you also, referring to Gentile believers. And then you see in the, in the last verse, verse 14, he now says our inheritance. And so it's a, our inheritance now. So what is this inheritance that Paul is referring to? Notice once again that the only way to, to have this inheritance is in Christ and through Christ. You see that? Uh, and so inheritance straight from Google it means this, a thing that is inherited or the action of inheriting. So examples like how we may inherit like traits or characteristics from our parents, uh, like growing up and, and, and even to this day, if I go back home, uh, older family members and friends of mine would be like, boy, you look just like your daddy. They'll say that. And uh, they'll say, man, I know that's William's son right there. That's William's son. So you see, if you interpret it in that way, inheriting, uh, I've inherited, uh, yeah, traits and characteristics just like my dad. So I look like my dad. Or another example is how parents set it up so that when he or she passes, uh, their children or their child will inherit money or uh, particular things, right? Like furniture or whatever the case may be, uh, they'll inherit those things. So you have those two interpretations. And I think it's okay to interpret the text in that way about receiving inheritance in Christ. But I, I believe and, and other scholars believe that there's another way to interpret it. 
and that this way seems to be consistent with other passages in the Old and New Testament as well. And so what is that way? What is that way? Is this. We were made an inheritance. So we were made an inheritance. Follow the thought here now. God's plan, and this has been his plan uh, since the beginning of time. We looked at this earlier in the passage in, in the earlier, earlier weeks that that God's plan uh, was to save a people, that his plan was to save a people for himself. That's God's plan. He has taken Jews and Gentiles, made them one, saved them. And that was his plan before the foundations of the world. Listen to a few examples here in scripture from Deuteronomy 4, verse 20. It says, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be what? A people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Here's another one. Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. So that's Psalm 33, 12. And then one more. Psalm 135, verse four, for the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. Do you see that listed in all of those verses that God chooses and saves the people of Israel for himself? Notice that in each verse that I just read, you see that God chose them. You see that God made them into a people and that they were his, that they were his possession. And the same is true for us Christians today. Uh, thanks be to God that salvation is not only for the Jews, but that it is for Gentiles, uh, non-Jews, that it's for everyone. And that, man, we can be his possession. And if you are a believer this morning, you are, I am his possession. The apostle Peter also writes about this in his letter. Our sister Nicole read this earlier uh, before the sermon. Listen to what he says. Listen to what the apostle Peter says. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is 1 Peter 2 verses 9 through 10. Isn't this good news, family? Isn't this good news that if you're a Christian this morning, that you are his, that you are God's. You're his possession. I'm his possession. He has made us his inheritance, a people for his own glory and for our joy and for our good. He has made us an inheritance. But you know what? This also means that being his possession means that he owns us. That God owns us as Christians. Our lives are not our own, even though we try to live like it is, but our lives are not our own. 
That's what it means to be his possession. Think about it with me from Galatians 2.20, a familiar verse that I'm sure a lot of us might know, but listen to what it says. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you see that? Did you hear that? That is, if you're a Christian, that is no longer you, it's him. We have been brought with a price. We've been bought with a price. Christ is our life. He's our life. So Christian, do you live like this? Do you live like Christ is your life? Do you? For me, the old Josh is dead. My life is not my life anymore. It's his. This means that Christ influences what I say, do, and think. And the same should be true for you if you're a believer this morning. Practically speaking, this includes my personal walk with Jesus, my marriage and family, me being a pastor, our finances, and the list goes on and on and on. And in no way am I, am I saying I'm perfect in this, because I'm not. But I desire to be more and more like Jesus. I want to look more like Jesus. I want my life to be lived more and more in honor of Jesus. I really do. <laughs> I want to be more like him. I want to look more like him. And if you're a believer this morning, I pray that that's your heart too, that you want to look and live more like Jesus. And that we would seek to strive after that on a daily basis. So the question again, are you living in this way? Are you striving to be more like Jesus? Are you living like you're his possession? Just a, a few questions to ponder on to think about, believer. Are you living like you're his possession, that you are under his control, his care, and his rule? Are you, are you living in that way? Or are you driving the car of your life and Jesus is in the back seat? Is that you this morning? Uh, far be it from us to live like this, family. It's not what God desires for his people. We are his and we have to live like it. This is what God calls us to. Our lives are not our own. We are his possession. He owns us. He rules and reigns in our lives. And it's a good thing. It's a glorious thing that the God of the universe says to you, Christian, to me, we're his. We're his. That's glorious. I pray, I pray that that uh, in your heart that you leap for joy and excitement in knowing that this morning, if you're a Christian. So our inheritance is in Christ, which leads to our second point this morning. Our inheritance is secure in Christ. Our inheritance is secure in 
Christ. Look back with me at verses 13 through 14a. Here's what it reads. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Notice once again that this verse starts off in him, again, referring to the Lord Jesus. If you haven't caught on by now, everything that the Christian has, everything. We've been talking about spiritual blessings. Our spiritual blessings, our salvation is in Christ and it's through Christ and it's for Christ. Everything that the Christian has is from him, through him and for him. So remember also, too, that that shift happened in the passage, right, where we shifted from we referring to the Jews to you also, including Gentile believers. So so what's in Jesus? Well, here are three key things that this passage lays out for us. Here are three things that this passage lays out for us. It says, one, they, we, heard the word of truth, the gospel of their and our salvation. So they, they heard the word of truth. And by God's grace, if you're a believer, you heard the word of truth. And what is that word of truth? Well, that word of truth is the gospel. And I love how Paul Man, how he says, man, the gospel is the word of truth, because it is. It's the truth. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, and it's the truth about Jesus. And then two, here's the second thing. They believed in Jesus. So they heard the word of truth, which is the gospel. And as a response, they believed in him. They put their faith in him. And that's true of you this morning if you know Jesus as well, if you're a believer. But if you're tuning in and you're not a Christian, this is not true for you. And what I'm saying may not make sense. Maybe what I'm saying may be a little confusing. Maybe what I'm saying uh, may be something that you've never heard before. And that's, and that's okay. Praise God that you're here this morning to hear this. And this is the, the most important news, the most important message, the best news that you could ever hear in your entire life is that Jesus took your place. Jesus died for you. He died for your sins. You might say, well, whoa, 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 sins. Okay, I, I don't sin. I don't have any sin. Well, the Bible uh, says that, man, we are all sinners, uh, that none of us does good, that none of us are righteous. And we see this traced all the way back to Adam and Eve. You may have heard this story, but that Adam and Eve uh, sinned against God. God gave them a command. They rebelled against the command. And because of their rebellion, man, sin came into the world. And essentially what that sin did was separate man from God. And you know what man has been doing and, or has been trying to do ever since that time is get back to God. Sin severed the relationship between God and man. But the good news is that Jesus comes to restore that relationship. 
The bad news is that you're a sinner and that you deserve punishment because of your sin. The good news is that Jesus came and he took your punishment that you deserved. This is the gospel that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose from the dead for you, for me, so that we might know God and enjoy God forever. This morning, if you don't know him, I want to invite you to get to know him. You might be like, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. how do I do that? What do I do? How do I get to know him? Ah, repent, which means to, to, to turn away from your sin, to turn away from the things that God hates and to turn to him as they did, the Ephesian believers did, as it says that they heard the word of truth, which is the gospel. And what did they do? They believed. I repent and believe in this good news. And once you do that, the Bible says you'll be saved. That you'll be forgiven of all of your sin, cleansed of all of your sin. And that, man, you could have fellowship with God and his people. And that you can, you can have that forever because that's where we're heading. We're not staying here. <laughs> this world is not our home. Man, we are, we are gearing up for something better and greater. And that's to be with God for all of eternity, worshiping him. Get in on that. Get in on that now. Repent. Believe in him by faith. Believe in him. So here's the third thing. They were were then sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, and he is their guarantee of inheritance. And so this is true of us too. We have, for, for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, we have been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, and he is our guarantee of our inheritance. So we'll camp out here a little bit. Uh, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, notice that I'm not referring to him as an it, because he's not an it, uh, or a force like the Jehovah's Witnesses do in Era. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is fully God. I like how the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry defines the Holy Spirit. Feel free to snap a pic of this quote or visit them at karm.org. Man, they have a whole lot of helpful resources in engaging in apologetics. I encourage you to check them out. But here's the definition. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is completely God. He is called God. We see that in Acts 5, verses 3 through 4. He has a will, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. He speaks, Acts 8, 29, Acts 8, 29, and 13, 2. And he knows all things, John 14, 17. He is not an active force, as the Jehovah's Witnesses mistakenly teach. The Holy Spirit is alive and is fully and completely God. He is called the Spirit of God in Genesis 1, 2. The Holy Spirit, Psalm 51, 11. The Helper, John 14, 16, and 26. An eternal Spirit, Hebrews 9, 14. He knows all things, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. He is all powerful, Luke 1, 35. And he is everywhere, 
Psalm 139, 7 through 13. This is fire truth right here, yo. This is this is fire truth right here. It's it's interesting that some Christians get a bad rap for 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 not giving the Holy Spirit the prop the props he deserves. Uh, it, it's like the the big three era of the Miami Heat. Some of you might know this when you think about the Miami Heat. You remember the the big three? Who were the big three? Well, it was LeBron James and it was uh, D Wade and it was Chris Bosh. <laughs> uh, some of us don't give Chris Bosh the, the props that he deserves in helping the Miami Heat team win all of those championships. I mean, he deserves much props because he helped LeBron and Wade win those championships during that era. Chris Bosh is a beast. He's nice with it. And the team needed him. They needed him to win those championships. Well, the Holy Spirit is God, and he's a beast too, and that we need him. Without him, our salvation wouldn't be complete. None of this would be possible without him. Here's how Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit and his important work. In John 14, verses 15 uh, through 18, here's how Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit and his work. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you or will be in you. Excuse me. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you or another one. Uh, in same chapter, but just verses 26 to 27, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So notice some important truths here about the Holy Spirit in these passages. I'm going to read them for you here now. One, he comes from the Father. Did you see that in the passage that the Holy Spirit uh, comes from the Father, that, that he uh, is sent by the Father? This speaks to him being a distinct person. This goes back to us uh, talking about how God is Trinity, right? So he's a distinct person who the Father sends, just like how the Father sent the Lord Jesus. And this just further supports God being triune. So we see that in verses 16 and 26 of the passages that I just read. Number two, he's called the helper and the spirit of truth. See that in verses 16, 17, and 26. Three, he will be with us forever. He will be with us forever. You see that, that he dwells with us and in us. See that in verses 16 and 17, four. And as I've already said, he's a person. He's a person. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as him, as he. He's a person. So we see that in verses 17 and 26. And then five, he will teach us and bring back to remembrance all of Jesus's teachings. So, he, so the Holy Spirit teaches us, and then he also will bring back 
to remembrance all of Jesus' words, all of Jesus' teachings. And we see that in verse 26. But, but wait, 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 there's more. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15. It reads this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we started that list. Let's continue on with that list. The, the list of truths continue. Here's number six from that passage. He will convict our hearts of sin. He will convict our hearts of sin. We see that in verses eight through nine. Number seven, he will guide us into all biblical truth. We saw that as well. That he will guide us, not in a lie, but in all truth. The Holy Spirit is about truth. He will guide us into truth. Number eight, he speaks. But did you notice that he does speak, but guess what? He doesn't speak on his own authority. He doesn't speak on his own authority. We see that in verse 13 as well. And then number nine, he will glorify Jesus. He will glorify Jesus. We see that in verse 14. This is amazing. This is mad dope. And I haven't even mentioned how he was with the Father in the beginning and how he creates. We see that in Genesis 1, 1 through 2 and 26 to 28. Uh, in, in God creating male and female in his image. And how he prays. We see that in Romans 8, 26 to 27. And there's so much more. So don't sleep on the Holy Spirit. We need him. All right, back to our passage in verses 13 through 14 of Ephesians 1. We see another key aspect of the Holy Spirit's work. And what is that aspect? Is that he seals or as our second point says, secures the believer. Not only that, but he's also our guarantee of our inheritance. So the word sealed here is like how when a farmer would would put a brand on his cattle to show ownership and keep away thieves. You know, like they'll take a branding iron and which is really hot, by the way, a, a branding iron and press it on the cattle and then it would leave an identifying mark or how our frat brothers who are cute dogs get branded. You know, when you see that brand on a brother, uh, there's a lot of black history there. There's a sense of belonging to brotherhood, et cetera, et cetera. So similar to, 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 
to branding, getting that brand. That's the idea that's in mind here. Now, all of these examples of brands are uh, external. Something to note that's very important about uh, the sealing of the Holy Spirit is that it's internal. So those brands were external. This brand is internal. And to quote another scholar that says, he says, God puts his seal in our hearts. He puts his seal in our hearts. So here are a few important takeaways from this verse thus far. If you're a genuine believer this morning, your salvation is secure. Your salvation is secure. You can be assured in your salvation this morning because the Holy Spirit has sealed you. He has placed his seal in your heart. And that cannot be broken. That seal cannot be broken. If you have, as we talked about the gospel, if you have uh, repented of your sins and received the Lord Jesus by faith, you have received the Holy Spirit and you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And you can't lose your salvation. It's very important that you know that this morning is that you have been sealed by him and you're sealed forever. So be assured in that this morning. And if you're struggling with assurance, let me invite you to, to, to think on that and to, to process that and to, to, to hear that good news once again, that man, Christ has come for you and that he offered himself for you. And if you believe in that, that man, you have been saved, but I, I understand, I get it, that sometimes some believers struggle uh, with assurance they struggle. They want to know. They struggle. They have those, those thoughts like, man, am I really a Christian? Am I really saved? If you've done that and you have genuine faith, then you can rest assured that you are saved. If you have genuinely repented of your sins and trusted Jesus by faith and that your life style before you did that has changed that you are now living a life worthy of the gospel pleasing to God if that is something you haven't done and if your lifestyle hasn't changed and it doesn't look any different from when you first was in the world or you are in the world and you had professed to be a Christian and your lifestyle didn't change very well might mean that you weren't saved. That might be the case, but you can be saved this morning if you look to Jesus, if you trust him. But if for, for, for some of us who are still wrestling with assurance and struggling with that, like you have done, 
you know, the repentance work, you have received Christ by faith and you just still are struggling. Let me invite you to, to read the, the book of First John. Let me invite you to read the book of First John personally or, or grab another Christian friend and read that book again or read that book with someone. Um, yeah, the book of First John is, is a book that I would encourage you to read and pray through and, uh, yeah, and seek the Lord. On, on the reality of your salvation. So let me encourage you to do that this morning. Um, if you're struggling this morning with sin, man, we all do. If you're a believer, we all do. Uh, the reality of it for us as believers is that um, we aren't sinless, we sin less. That should be the reality for a believer, is that we're not sinless, there was only one person who was sinless, and that was Jesus. The reality for us is that we're not sinless, but we, if we have put our faith in Christ and we are fighting sin by God's Spirit, man, like the pattern of our sin and um, all of these different things, man, the reality for us should be that we sin less, that there should be a decreased pattern of sin in our lives. But we're not sinless and we won't be until the Lord Jesus comes back or until we go with him before then. So I want to encourage you to be encouraged by, man, the sealing of the Holy Spirit and, and the gospel and in knowing that your sins have been covered and that uh, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and is in you. And guess what? He will help you in your battles against sin. And so keep fighting, keep trusting, keep believing, keep hoping in the gospel. Get some accountability partners, be confessing your sin to one another. Uh, man, be confessing your sin to God and know as, as 1 John 1, 9 tells us that Man, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So don't grow weary. Don't don't give up. Man, keep fighting and know that God is fighting with you and for you in this battle. For those of you who might be struggling as a sufferer this morning. Ah oh, man, take comfort in knowing that, man, like this was the way of Jesus. This has been the way of Christians, that Christians do suffer. It was never promised to us when we came to Christ, although there, there is that message out there and that message is false. That prosperity gospel message, that, that wealth and and all of these different things that you come to Christ and you receive this, ah, that's, that's false. Don't believe the hype. Man, when we came to Christ, it was never told to us, there's nowhere in the pages of Scripture that we wouldn't suffer, that we wouldn't have bad days, that we wouldn't struggle. In fact, we're told the opposite. <laughs> uh, man, we're, we're, we're told that for, for, for believers, man, that, that who desire to live a godly life, that we will be persecuted. 
that Jesus tells us this, that, man, we will be persecuted, that we will go through stuff, that we will suffer. But guess what? Jesus suffered more. He went through way more than anything or any of us would ever experience at any point. Jesus showed us the way to suffering, but his suffering led to our salvation. And so be encouraged this morning knowing that, man, if you're suffering, it's not bad. Suffering, although when you go through it, I'm not saying it's all pretty and I'm not saying it's all peaches and cream, but it's a good thing for us. And that, maybe you even think about the disciples uh, in the book of Acts, man, they, they, they wanted to suffer for the name. And so may we be a church, may we be a people of God who, who know when we suffer, when we go through things, that that doesn't mean necessarily that we're not walking with God, that we're not close with God. It may mean very much that we are close with him and that he is with us in that suffering and that he's providing the strength to suffer in whatever those things might be. And so be encouraged. Just a word for these particular categories this morning as we think about our being sealed by the Holy Spirit. So we've been sealed And he's also our guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The idea here is that he's our down payment. If you're reading the English Standard Bible translation, you should see a footnote for the word guarantee and the phrase possession of it. Dr. Tony Marita is really helpful here in helping us understand uh, what this all entails. And so this is what he says. He says, finally. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our final inheritance. The Spirit is the first installment or the down payment provided for the glory to come. Many times people use this verse to compare the Spirit to an engagement ring. However, an engagement ring is not part of the wedding. It is a promise, but it is not a down payment. A better analogy is the down payment on a house, which is the first installment of the purchase. So God is not just telling us about something in the future. He is bringing the future into the present so that we may taste what the future is like. This is what God did in sealing us by his spirit and him being our down payment in a future inheritance for our future inheritance. This is what God did. And it's, it's, it's glorious. So our inheritance is secure in Christ, which leads to our third and final point this morning. Our inheritance has a goal, worshiping Christ. Our inheritance has a goal. And what is that goal? It's to worship Jesus. Look back with me at verses 12 and 14b. Here's what it reads. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14b, to the praise of his glory. You see that theme there? That God 
wants us to praise him, to worship him. That's the goal of our inheritance. That's the goal of our salvation is to, to worship him. This is a consistent theme in this chapter so far. We saw this in other places. Do you remember uh, if you were with us over these last couple of weeks? You might remember these places, but in verses 6a and 7c uh, in the same chapter, uh, it reads this. So verse 6a says, to the, to the praise of his glorious grace. And then 7c, according to the riches of his grace. And so you see that similar theme uh, to the praise of his glorious grace, to the riches of his grace. The reality of it all is, is that we were made for God's glory and we were made to, to worship God for his glory. So we were made for God's glory and we were made to worship God for his glory. So then what is God's glory? Or pastor and theologian John Piper defines it this way. He defines it in this helpful way. He says, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. Once again, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. Ah, God is, is, is infinite in beauty. It means he's he's beautiful forever and ever and ever and ever and his greatness uh, displays his his manifold perfections and this is the, the the goal family god's glory is the goal he himself is the goal of our inheritance of our salvation of our worship god is the goal so we were made for this and we were made to pursue that end. So we were made for this. Here are a couple of uh, verses here uh, in, in thinking about us being made for this, that we were created for worship. Listen to Genesis 1, 26 to 28. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we were we were created in the image of God after his likeness. A, a, a few key things that are, are unique about this is that, man, every human being uh, was created with the same worth and dignity and purpose. And that every human being was created uh, for God's glory and to worship God for his glory. We were made to spread his glory through imaging him all over the earth by being walking billboards of his glory daily. This was what God's uh, plan 
was for us and is for us, that we would image him all over creation, all over, and be walking billboards of his grace. So we were made, we were created for that, but then we were also created and made to live for that, to live to that end. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Did you, did you catch that? That this is the, the end that we all are to be living towards? That we are to be pursuing God's glory in everything. So the goal of our inheritance is that we get God. Ah, Would you see this in the word this morning? Would you let it change the way you live if it hasn't already? The purpose of your life, the purpose of my life is to know and glorify God. This is what you were made for. This is what I was made for. So know him this morning and make him known. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for um, creating us creating us all with with worth and dignity and purpose. And yeah, that purpose being to to know you and to make you known. God, I pray that as we, we leave from this time now, that we would be clear on our purpose, that we would be clear on what you created us for. To know you and to make you known and to to enjoy you forever. That we can enjoy you now. So God, would you help us to delight in you now? Would you please help us to enjoy you now? And, and, And know that, man, one day we'll be enjoying you forever and ever and ever We long for that day, Lord. Would you help those who are tuning in this morning who may not know you? Would you help them to to tap into their purpose that you uh, have given them? The desire that you have for them to know you and to make you known. Please soften their heart. Lord, don't let their heart be hardened this morning. Please soften it and save them and get them on track to your intended purpose of knowing you and making you known. Do it, O Lord, for your glory and for our joy and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.